Good morning, everyone, and welcome to this Flint briefing call. Uh, today, we're going to unpack Labour's business conference yesterday, which Flint went along to. I'm Kieran Horwich. I'm a partner at Flint, uh, and I'm joined today by three colleagues who many of you will know. Uh, first up is our managing partner, Simon Fraser, who was a former permanent secretary at the UK Department for Business, as well as head of the UK Foreign Office and Diplomatic Service. Uh, we also have partner James Kilmartin, a former political advisor to Labour's Shadow Cabinet, who's worked on several Labour election campaigns. Um, and then finally, specialist partner Sean Simon, who was previously a Labour MP, MEP, Metro Mayor candidate and a minister in the last Labour government. Uh, in this call, we'll consider what the conference has told us about how Labour wants to work with business and the key announcements that we heard from Labour this week. We'll look at the Labour part, how Labour is preparing for the upcoming election, its emerging policy platform and how the manifesto is shaping up. We'll also briefly discuss how the civil service will be preparing for a possible transition of government. Um, and most importantly, of course, we'll dig into what all this means for business and how firms can optimise their engagement with Labour in the months ahead to the general election. Uh, today's call will last no longer than 30 minutes. And as ever, we've muted the lines, um, so we won't take any questions on the call. But if you do have any follow ups or questions afterwards, uh, let us know and we'll be happy to help. So, Simon, um, let me turn to you first. You were at the business conference yesterday. What were your key takeaways? Uh, thank you, Kieran. Well, uh, the conference was probably Labour's last major set piece business event running into the general election. And it really felt like a very important moment in their efforts to cement their credibility with business. Mm. Um, so they put a lot of effort into it. The shadow cabinet were there in force. And they were working hard throughout the day. So, for example, I was able to talk to six of them, including Keir Starmer, as they worked the floor. They were pleased with the conference, I think. The message discipline was professional and strong. And they were pressing home some now familiar themes like stability, fiscal discipline, supply side reforms, a more active industrial strategy, and their desire for a two-way partnership with business. And if I can just make three brief comments on that. Um, first, the attendance at the conference and the reaction from the business side. Um, it was double the size of the last Labour business conference, and I was struck by the number of people there. I think about 400 business leaders and 200 investors, and they were senior people. They weren't the very top CEOs, but they were senior business leaders. Uh, and of course, big questions remain about the detail of Labour's policy programme and how it's going to be funded. But the mood in the room, I would say, was engaged and positive. And there was a real sense that even if business isn't still completely sure about Labour, it is for now prepared to give them the benefit of the doubt. Second, uh, there were some clear elements of challenge to business in what Starmer said. So a Labour government expects business to step up in working for a better economic environment and better social outcomes. Uh, and the message was that Labour is pro-business, but also pro-workers. Uh, and the goal of growth for Labour is to create shared prosperity across society. So, for example, when Labour talked about, when Starmer talked about Labour's skills policy and creating new technical excellence colleges, he said that you know, business needs to play its part in designing courses and driving up standards. 
And he also made very clear uh, that Labour will introduce stronger employee protections. And he more or less said, you know, business needs to get on get, get on the programme with that. Third, goodwill from business is, I think, built more on Labour's political commitment to partnership, disillusion with the current government, uh, than a detailed policy programme that addresses business policy priorities. So if Labour wins the election, incoming ministers are going to need to move quickly to tackle policy and regulatory barriers to economic growth in a very difficult fiscal environment. And that means that since Labour's policy platform still remains slim, there is still a chance for business to have uh, a significant role, both before and after the election, in helping develop the detail of this programme. Back to you, Kieran. Thanks, Simon. That's a helpful overview. So, so James, coming to you, Simon mentioned at the very end there the, the slim policy platform. We we did get a bit more information on that side in, in the days leading up to the conference. Can you tell us a bit more about some of those key, key announcements that we've heard this week? Yes, thanks, Kieran. That's absolutely right. Uh, this week, we've seen four new announcements from Labour. Most were statements of intent rather than detailed policies, but I think they still give us a sense of how Labour's thinking is evolving. Um, the first was the life sciences plan uh, with a big ambition to boost R&D. Um, it brought together many of Labour's existing policy commitments, albeit applied to the life sciences sector. But it, it was a signal, I think, that Labour is prepared to use that more active industrial strategy to support sectors like the life sciences. The second was the review of how Labour could improve engagement with business. Again, the recommendations are quite high level, but I think the key thing they show is Labour's openness to new ways of working with business in government. And I think there is still scope for business to shape what that looks like in practice. Third, we also had the outcome of Labour's review of financial services. Um, most notable were the clear terms in which Labour committed to chapling the sector. And of course, the pledge not to reimpose the cap on bankers' bonuses. Beyond that, uh, Labour very deliberately did not propose a major overhaul, uh, but they did signal areas that are likely to be high priority, such as consumer protection, uh, green finance, and the ambition for greater working relations with the EU. And yesterday, of course, we had Labour's pledge not to increase the headline rate of corporation tax during its first term. I think it's worth bearing in mind, though, that you know, current spending plans for 2025 onwards are widely considered unrealistic and Labour's existing tax proposals are symbolic. They're not measures that will substantively address the pressures in the public finances. So whatever the main parties say before the election, tax rises afterwards, including potentially targeted taxes at business, look very likely. And finally, of course, the policy that Labour didn't want to talk about yesterday was the ongoing saga on its pledge to spend £28 billion a year as part of its green prosperity plan. The fact that Labour still hasn't resolved the issue is, I think, now beginning to damage its credibility. Labour has already watered down the policy quite a lot, but it was clear to me yesterday that Labour is distancing itself even further from the number. I think it's very unlikely that Labour's campaign director, Pat McFadden, or Morgan McSweeney, who both regard the 28 billion figure as a liability, will allow Labour to go into the election with a big unfunded spending commitment. So the most likely scenario, in my view, is that Labour drops the number, potentially after the budget, if the Chancellor uses the remaining fiscal headroom on further tax cuts, but tries to say that it remains committed to supporting investment to hit net zero. 
And I think whatever they say, it should now be clear that while the kinds of things in Labour's green plans remain their priorities, it's very unlikely that they're going to be able to borrow anywhere near the kind of sums to finance these new investments. So, Kieran, I'll hand back to you. Thanks very much, James. So, Sean, turn to you next. Um, as Simon said, the, there was kind of a, an enormous scale um, of, of attendees at the business conference yesterday. How would you say this now characterises Labour's attitude to business? Thanks, Kieran. And that's right. Resetting its relationship with business has increasingly become a top priority for Labour. Uh, and I think it's useful to properly understand why. Uh, From the time Keir Starmer first became Labour leader, long before he had the commanding poll lead we're now used to, he knew the strong evidence that the primary determinant of electoral success is the perception of economic competence. That's what wins or loses you elections. And it's very hard to demonstrate as a centre-left opposition party out of power for a long time. But one of the very few concrete things you can do is to show that you understand that it's business that drives growth and prosperity and you understand how business works. And crucially, that the business community itself believes and is persuaded by you. So the need to get business buy-in was initially quite a self-interested objective. But in the years since, Labour leaders have notably deepened their, their real appreciation, both of how business works and how important it is. Uh, which is partly because as the fiscal position has worsened so strikingly, um, they've increasingly realised that they'll need the private sector to deliver public outcomes that the state just won't be able to. But partly also as a genuine product of the intensive engagement with business they've been doing. They haven't just been doing a listening exercise. They have actually been listening. Um, But that doesn't mean that Labour won't be critical of business either where it thinks there's political advantage or where it thinks business is wrong, or in some cases, both. Indeed, talking to Labour's business spokespeople, they feel like the new credibility they've established with business has put them in a stronger position to talk about what they see as the problems. Um, The water industry is still a good example of this. Steve Reid, the Shadow Environment Secretary, is politically moderate and instinctively pro-business, but Labour wants to make the condition of the waterways an emblem of conservative mismanagement for the election. So in the run-up to the election, the frequency and volume of Labour criticisms of the water sector will intensify, although privately they take a much more emollient tone. Um, There was another example only last week with with Labour's populist pledge to limit the sale of dangerous knives online, including criminal sanctions on tech executives – But in private, they're open to reasonable discussions about realistic options. Companies that show they've listened to what Labour said, that engage seriously with its concerns and can offer practical, well-evidenced proposals will get a much, much fairer hearing than the political rhetoric might suggest. Thanks very much, Sean. So so we know or, or we're all expecting now that the election will be sometime later this year. In in light of what you've just set out above and what we've seen from Labour at the business day yesterday, what what can you tell us um, about Labour's strategy leading into that election? And and when do you think that we're going to learn a bit more about the policy programme, which, as we know, is, is relatively slim at the moment? 
well, everything Labour does now can only be seen through the prism of the election. Every intervention is now essentially a campaign device. Their election strategists now think autumn's the most likely date, although privately they also think that the prime minister, uh, despite having said the opposite, is still keeping open the option of May. So Labour's aim very much is to be fully prepared to fight a spring election, which in practical terms means they have to get the core of their manifesto finalised this month. Shadow ministers have been asked to submit their proposals by the end of next week, which in most cases will mean streamlining the current commitments rather than developing new policies or adding further detail. Uh, Then there'll be a private, very political process of stress testing. And the manifesto won't then be published till just before the election. Once the election has been called, a clause five meeting, as they call it, with the National Executive Committee and the Shadow Cabinet signs off the manifesto. Um, but most of Labour's manifesto is actually hiding in plain sight already. The so-called campaign Bible that Labour sent to its parliamentary candidates a couple of weeks ago was actually a very good guide to what the manifesto is likely to say. <clears throat> and for business, clearly, this means the window for influencing Labour's manifesto is narrowing to a close. But it's worth bearing in mind that the manifesto was only ever going to be, to use their term, slim and focused. Its aim is to reduce the scope for conservative attacks and avoid boxing itself in. Uh, And it's important to see the manifesto as a stage in a process that leads potentially into government where the real work starts. It's not an end in itself. And in parallel to the public manifesto, There is currently a private policy development process, which think tanks like Labour Together are very heavily involved in and which is significantly intensifying more and more every week and every month. Whereas after the election, it's the civil service which is going to be helping Labour flesh out the details of everything they want to do. So engagement with the civil service and with think tanks is really important for business this year Kieran thanks very much Sean so Simon let, let's come back to you then and on, on that final point um the other recent development recent uh, the other development recently is that the Prime Minister has approved the pre-election access talks between Labour and the Civil Service you've been in government running a department when access talks have been taking place twice so can you tell us a bit more about how important these discussions are How will civil servants be preparing for this potential change of government? Kieran, happy to do that. Before I do that, I just wanted to make one more comment thinking about this, about the substance of the discussions yesterday, which is just to note that during the day, uh, the question of AI and new technologies and how that would affect public service delivery was one of the big themes. And uh, Labour shadow ministers were sort of careful to be open on this and to endorse new technologies and to uh, welcome the opportunities they present, whilst at the same time highlighting the need for proportionate regulation. And that came up in several of the sessions, so I think I thought it was just worth touching on that as well. Now, on your question about um, access talks, you're absolutely right. Um, Formal access talks between Labour and the most senior civil servants have been requested uh, now 
uh, by Labour and authorised by the Prime Minister, and they will start soon. And that is part of the formal process running into an election. These talks are very private, and there's a great degree of caution on both sides, to be frank. So I think it's important not to exaggerate uh, the content of these of these discussions. Most permanent secretaries will meet their shadow minister four or five times uh, over the coming months. Normally, this happens in the House of Commons, in the shadow minister's rooms. But the structure and the substance of those talks will vary according to the preferences of individual shadow ministers. So they will, for example, cover operational matters such as the shadow minister's preferred ways of working, uh, private office arrangements, senior personnel in the department, organizational structure, and so forth. And and the sort of the subtext of a lot of that is about just getting to know you um, between the two uh, principal players on each side. On the policy issues, ministers will ask about current priorities and they will share as much as they want to about their manifesto plans. Civil servants are not allowed to advise shadow ministers either on existing government policy or on Labour's own policy commitments, but they can judiciously share information uh, and they can ask questions about Labour's intentions in order to help their planning process and the briefing process, which then clicks in once the formal campaign begins. Um, but, you know, shadow ministers will also be cautious themselves about sharing for fear of leaks. So. Before the 1997 election, for example, uh, Gordon Brown's team did not raise uh, the Bank of England's independence or indeed details of the windfall tax with Treasury officials in advance. So there's always room for surprises. And indeed, there's always room for personnel changes. So in my own case, I had some very interesting um, access talks with one shadow cabinet minister, but the person who actually turned up on the day was somebody quite different. So you have to bear that in mind. Uh, finally, as Sean has said, for most of the shadow ministers and their advisors, the task now is actually winning the election. That's where their energy is focused. Uh, Keir Starmer and his chief of staff, Sue Gray, of course, both know uh, about the working of government. They've both had considerable senior experience in the civil service themselves, and that will help instill diligence and due process in this in this pre preparation period, but many of the people on the Labour side will have little understanding, frankly, of the sheer scale of the tasks that they're going to face uh, if, if and when they turn up running a government department. Back to you, Karen. Thanks very much, Simon. Um, and so finally, Jane, let me come back to you. It, it wouldn't be a flint call if we didn't talk about what this means for business and the way they engage. So given everything that we've heard um, over this call and, and throughout this week, what is your key advice, piece of advice for, for how businesses should approach their engagement in these final yeah. months leading up to the election? Yeah, thanks, Kieran. I think as Simon and Sean have both said, restoring credibility with business has been a crucial element of Labour strategy, and that is not going to change between now and the election. But as that election gets closer, what Labour wants from business will change. Uh, in particular, as the key planks of the manifesto are finalised and the election gets nearer, Labour's horizons will narrow and time for policy work will reduce and so will the opportunities for the sorts of round tables and bilateral meetings that many businesses have been having with Labour over the last couple of years. But 
the appetite for site visits will increase, particularly in the key constituencies that Labour needs to win. For Labour's top team, less and less of their time will be spent in London or in Whitehall, and more and more will be out on the campaign trail supporting Labour's parliamentary candidates around the country. So for businesses that can host those visits, they will become a really important way of showcasing your work and also discussing the key policy issues for a new government. They will also provide a really good opportunity to get to know some of Labour's rising stars, uh, the best of whom, if Labour wins, are likely to enjoy accelerated routes to ministerial office. But rather than trying to pin Labour down on specific policy issues, which Labour will be increasingly reluctant to do, the most effective engagement, in my view, for business will involve building trust and relationships across the party, engaging Labour on bigger picture ideas and offering local support and expertise to help advance Labour's five key missions. And one final thing to bear in mind, I think it is fair to say that Labour's approach to engagement with business will get more transactional. For example, I think efforts to secure public endorsements from business will intensify. And while constructive business engagement is beneficial for both sides, I think businesses should tread very cautiously in dealing with requests from either party for outright endorsements. So, Kieran, I'll hand back to you. Great. Thank you very much, James, um, for those final thoughts. Um, we're going to leave it there for now. But as ever, our expert Labour team will continue to follow all of the events very closely uh, and up update you on any developments from the Labour Party and what they mean uh, from a business perspective. Um, if you do have any questions or would like to uh, dig into anything we've talked about today um, in more detail, please do get in touch. We're more than happy to uh, organise follow-ups um, as required. Um, thank you very much to our speakers, Simon, James and Sean. And thank you very much to everyone who has joined today. Um, we wish you a nice rest of your day and lovely weekend.